Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, life purpose coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Secretary Justin Brown, Director of the Oklahoma Department of Human Services and Cabinet Secretary of Oklahoma Human Services, with a passion for serving and empowering some of our state's most vulnerable citizens. And now, the Live Your Purpose Podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose Podcast. I'm here today with Secretary Justin Brown. In June of 2019, Governor Kevin Stent appointed Justin Brown as Director of the Oklahoma Department of Human Services, the state's largest agency by workforce. In March 2020, Governor Stent further appointed Brown to the position of Cabinet Secretary of Oklahoma Human Services. As CEO of a regional senior housing company prior to these appointments, Brown built a deep experience in organizational leadership, finance, and strategic planning and execution. With this experience, Brown is well-suited to build a vision based on a customer-first mentality, motivating the team to execute on a vision of serving the state of Oklahoma's most vulnerable citizens. As a strong relationship builder, Brown was uniquely qualified to position the Department of Human Services as a collaborative agency that engages with partners across the state to serve together. In addition to having built a passion for serving seniors with Alzheimer's disease through his prior profession and board of directors engagement with the Alzheimer's Association, Brown has built a life of service to children through nonprofit service, including the OU Children's Hospital Foundation, the YMCA of Greater Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City Zoo, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, among others. He and his wife, Kelly, have been married for 19 years, going on 20, and have two children, Hannah and Ford. Secretary Brown, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's an honor to be here to share the stage with you, uh, but also to talk about the really incredible uh, mission that the Oklahoma Department of Human Services is on today. Absolutely. And so I've been following and tracking along with some of your progress and and, uh, know several folks that know you and, uh, you know, then saw you at an event at VAST recently and, and, uh, just really enjoyed what you had to say, and I thought, wow, I'd really got to have you on the show if you'd had time for it. So I just appreciate you making time and being available. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Well, Secretary Brown, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question, and you've chosen yours, and I'll just send that your way, and we'll see where the conversation takes us. Great. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So, Secretary Brown, what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? Uh, That's a great question. Um, Of course, over my lifetime, that has changed um, as I have changed as a person. But uh, uh, honestly, today I get out of bed every day excited about the true uh, opportunity we have for systemic change. Uh, It feels like a time in our communities and in our lives that in our world and candidly in our city and state where the environment is ripe for real and substantive change to so many of these huge uh, organizations that have existed for generations. And uh, so I wake up every day, honestly, on fire about um, the real opportunities that we have to listen to the voice of the people that we're serving, uh, to work with partners across the state of Oklahoma, to enact um, real reform uh, to big institutions who have just sort of been built up uh, over the generations um, to kind of serve themselves instead of ne- instead of really serving the community. So uh, now is the right time, and it's it's extremely exciting uh, to be in the position that I'm in. Well, I've heard so many good things, and and I know that you've got uh, a huge vision for for the work that you're doing and uh, several initiatives that are going on. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to just start where you wanted to start and hit some of these high points and then maybe backtrack further on in the conversation uh, some of your past experiences and, mm-hmm. and some of where you uh, glean some experiences that you're able to use today. But sure. feel free to just dive right in there. Yeah, happy to. So um, really one of the things I wanted to share today was this concept that we developed uh, a couple of years ago at the Department of Human Services as I walked in called Finding Our True North. And um, while I will go deeply into that, 
Uh, I think it is important to share a little bit of the background maybe first so that um, you can see how we got into this True North process and then where we've taken it. And then maybe we'll look forward to the future. So um, ultimately, I came to the agency just over two years ago, as you mentioned in the, the bio, June of 2019. Um, I came from the private sector. Uh, I used to be CEO for a, a regional senior housing company. So we owned and operated assisted living and memory care communities in three states and uh, really built a passion for those with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. And so that, that, that uh, sort of carried me into the work because we operate two divisions for the state of Oklahoma that are really around seniors. So we operate aging services and adult protective services um, across, for the state. Um, but I was also deeply connected to kids' missions. Also, as you read, some of the, the nonprofit work that I've done over the years um, that just you know sort of built me as somebody, I, I think, who is um, sort of, you know, purpose-driven for this, this work that I'm in. And um, so I, uh, or in my prior life, um, we signed an agreement in uh, April of 2019 to outsource the management of our communities. We did that in-house before, but outsource the management of our communities to a company out of Denver, just an industry trend of consolidation. And uh, I didn't really know what that meant for me. The, the future, uh, sort of had to, as I had in my mind, was to manage the manager. Um, but um, I, uh, I didn't really know, that was 95% of my day was running the organization and from a management perspective. And um, so I didn't know what that meant for me. Um, exactly 16 days later, I got a call from the head of the transition team for the governor's office asking if I had an interest in serving the state. And I said, uh, no, I'm good, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and uh, really because it had never crossed my mind, to be honest. Sure. Uh, the, uh, the last time I was in the Capitol before this position was when I was a house page in 1993. Uh, so it's been a long time. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> I was in high school at the time. And um, so it just wasn't on my radar. Um, after, um, uh, so the, the, the answer on the other end of the phone when I said, no, I'm not interested was, well, if you're 1% interested, we should talk again. And I said, well, okay, I'll bite the hook. I'm 1% interested. What does that mean? And so uh, over the next 10 days, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people and really started gravitating to this being um, a, a significant component of my life for the rest of my life is work in human services. Uh, again, I feel like I had been sort of built for that in my work in, uh, with seniors and work with kids over uh, the prior couple of decades. So um, exactly 60, so I, I then um, finally met the governor. He and I had never met in person. Um, and so I sat down with him about 10 days after that first phone call for a cup of coffee in the governor's mansion at 6.30 in the morning. And we talked about faith and philosophy and, um, you know, the culture that he was trying to build, because candidly, if they were, if the culture I would build is different than the one that he wanted to build, then it probably wasn't going to be a successful match. Uh, it was very clear that we were looking to do the same thing. And so, uh, I told him at the end of that, that coffee meeting, I said, listen, if, uh, you say no to me, I'm good. The world is fine. I'll figure out what the future is for me. But if you say yes to me and I say no to you, I'll think about it every day for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't have anything like that in my life and I'm not going to start now. And so, a couple of days later, he called me and said, hey, we think you're the guy. And so exactly 60 days from that first phone call was my first day as agency director for the Department of Human Services. So I had 60 days in there um, to really think about what it would be like to walk into the state's largest agency. We have six, just over 6,000 employees. And uh, we are, had 92 buildings uh, all across the state of Oklahoma serving seven uh, program divisions uh, that serve as you mentioned, some of the most vulnerable people in our communities, in many cases, the most vulnerable people. So just a really quick summary of what DHS does, and then I'll jump into what you're, I'll finally get to the question that you asked. No, me. that sounds great. Yeah. So we, um, we have seven programs, or actually we've consolidated two, but uh, seven primary functions. Um, the first is uh, adult and family services. So it's a social safety net. So if you think of uh, what historically would have been called uh, potentially welfare programs. Uh, that's what we operate. So food stamps or SNAP program, TANF, LIHEAP, all of the acronym programs that occur in our state. But those who are really the support network for individuals who are uh, living in and around poverty. Um, the, uh, and so we serve about uh, a million people a year through that division, about a, a fourth of the state's population uh, engaged with the Department of Human Services and our social safety net programs. Um, we, we run uh, child welfare. That's our largest division. So what you would think of as the foster care and adoption system. In that space, we operate or we answer about 82,000 calls a year of childhood uh, abuse and neglect, um, which is, um, of course, heartbreaking. 
Um, I would tell you it's important to know as we talk about some of the True North vision that we have that um, of those 82,000 calls a year that we receive to the abuse and neglect hotline, 90% of those are neglect, not abuse, and 70% of those are related to poverty. So we're fortunate in the state of Oklahoma that we have two, we have the same, we have two functions living in the same agency that should be able to help solve the problem. So we have the symptom to the problem in child welfare, but we have the potential solution to the problem in adult and family services, that social safety net programs that operate to help address poverty. So those are the first two. We operate um, child support services, which collects about $380 million a year in child support from non-custodial parents to custodial parents. Uh, we operate child care services, which licenses and regulates about 3,000 child care providers, both in-home and facility-based across the state. Uh, we operate um, developmental disability services, which uh, funds services for those with developmental disabilities across the state of Oklahoma. It's a space where you've likely heard about our developmental disability wait list. It's a 12-year wait for services. Um, primarily has been considered an appropriations issue, and it certainly is. Um, but I would tell you we have incredible legislative partners in this space. And uh, we have embarked upon a bold mission to end the developmental disability wait list. So um, I, would, I would keep your eye out for incredible uh, advancements in the coming 12 months in that space and uh, couldn't be more excited about that. Um, again, one of those spaces of potential very large systemic change that uh, gets me out of bed every morning. Um, we also operate aging services, which um, primarily funds the Medicaid Advantage waiver program, keeping folks, um, or seniors more independent and uh, living healthy in their homes. And then uh, senior nutrition as well, which serves about 5 million meals a year to seniors in need. Um, and then adult protective services, which um, answers about 20,000 calls a year of senior abuse, neglect, and exploitation. So I think I hit all of them uh, as, I, as I was walking through. I think I got all of them. But those are the program divisions uh, that DHS operates. So you can see a highly vulnerable population and one that's critical uh, to be run right. Um, so I mentioned uh, I had 60 days when I walked into the agency to really think about um, you know, what the vision was going to look like, especially so coming from someone who had not, you know, been a part of the agency before and not really been a part of state government. Uh, I walked in knowing that I didn't know uh, what that vision should be and wanted to build a framework for the agency and for partners to really speak into what the future vision should be for the agency. So I decided to build a, a process called finding our true north. And so i I started day one with the agency and said, um, you know, I need to know what you all think is important. What do you do in this agency that truly serves the people of the state of Oklahoma? Not, not serves yourself or serves the workforce or the government, but the actual person at the end of the day. Uh, what does this agency do and what do you do in your divisions that truly serves? And so uh, I asked those questions. And then uh, another one of the questions was, um, if the customer, the person at the end of the service um, could point to something that would show that you were successful in your job, what would they point to? And so um, we spent about 120 days uh, in those divisions really deeply talking about uh, you know, what the end of the day purpose was for those divisions. And so after that 120 day period, um, each of those divisions came back and we refined three to five true north philosophies for each of the divisions. So I'm not going to run through all of those today from a divisional perspective. They're online at ourokdhs.org. So you can go to that and uh, there's a button that says raise your hand. So if you see something that you, know, you have an idea on or you serve a similar uh, customer base and, and you want to help us out, you can push the raise your hand button and it'll walk you through a form to help uh, sort of bring our partners together. Um, but what I really want to talk about is um, after the, the divisions sort of embarked upon defining their own True North and built this grassroots uh, strategic planning opportunity through True North, um, I sat down with the leadership team <clears throat> and said, um, okay, so these divisions are doing incredible work. Like they are this, I mean, this stuff that they wrote down, it's, it's truly inspirational. Um, what are we going to do to help them? What is the agency going to do as a whole to really promote um, well-being for the people that we serve? And so we came up with, an execu with eight executive leadership True North philosophies. And uh, that's really what I wanted to sort of share with you today. These are 
this is the framework for this big um, substantive change that, that I mentioned that gets me out of bed every day. Um, and so I'll, I'll run through those quickly. Know that if you have an interest in any of these, and if there's a listener who has any interest in any of these, uh, I can talk about them for hours. Um, these are, these are, this is not just corporate slogan or anything like this. this is true mission work that we're on. So the first one is to become the largest ever hope-centered organization. Um, if you sort of live around the child, any, any space that serves kids, um, you really have begun to understand the, this concept of trauma. And um, so there's a film called Resilience. And if, if you know, listeners haven't seen the Resilience film yet, I would encourage them to find a way to, to see it. But ultimately, the outcome of that film is the understanding that we are all just a product of the experiences that we've had, whether those are good experiences or bad experiences. And those of, those of us who have had bad experiences in our lives and a, f- a high frequency of bad experiences, also referred to as adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, uh, it builds toxic stress in our bodies. And in fact, um, lifespans for, for people who've had high levels of adverse childhood experiences are dramatically shorter because they result in physiological changes to our bodies. So um, it's really an incredible study. The ACE study out of uh, San Diego is what this resilience film was built on. So I've seen that film um, you know, a number of times. I saw it a couple of times even before I took over at DHS. And, um, and I, saw, I actually saw it through uh, OU Children's Hospital when I was on the board there. And um, I, every time I see it, uh, I've, I'm always left thinking, boy, that makes a lot of sense. Like you can, you can totally feel that a child in a home that has, you know, um, substance abuse issues or mental health issues or um, a parent that's incarcerated or to, is a part of, as witness to domestic violence every day, that they would have this level of toxic stress in their lives that would keep them from operating with the same executive function that that um, that you know those of us who don't have that level of toxic stress would, and so and they actually think with a, use the different parts of their brains to operate daily. And so <clears throat> anyway, so I I've, you, see, you see the film and it makes total sense, and then you but then I've always I've been left thinking, what do I do with that? How do I move forward instead of just looking backwards? And we believe the science of hope is the answer to what, how to move forward. You, um, hope is different than a wish. Um, for example, if, um, if you said, the, it was so, so hope is the belief that tomorrow can be better than today and I can do something about it. So um, a wish is I just believe that tomorrow can be better than today. But adding that second sentence fragment that says and I can do something about it that's what distinguishes hope from a wish. So the, the incredible thing is there have been thousands of studies done on the science of hope. And um, as we understand hope more, we understand that we can improve we, and we can build hope in people. And you can measure hope. There's a, so for example, um, and, and by the way, higher hope scores result, have better, result in better outcomes. So for example, um, a child's hope score is based on 36 points. And a two-point increase in a child's hope scores result in a letter grade increase in school. And so it's really um, a pretty incredible opportunity we have to combat high A scores with higher hope scores. Uh, So the science of hope is actually pioneered uh, here, actually in in Oklahoma, by an OU professor, Dr. Chan Hellman. And so Dr. Hellman is now um, a, a partner to the Oklahoma Department of Human Services. He sits in our programs, helps us to, to see where we build hope in the people we serve um, and uh, how we can continue to do that in our workforce as well. So uh, that's the first one. Again, I can talk about that for a long time, uh, but I'll keep it shorter and sweet there. So the, uh, becoming the largest ever hopes in an organization is the first executive leadership true north. Um, number two is removing systemic barriers that keep our customers from being successful. Uh, we see and hear about those barriers all the time. There are uh, transportation barriers and childcare barriers and language barriers, technology barriers. They're they're just all over the place. And if you are living in a space of poverty, um, it's almost impossible for you to navigate all of those barriers to long-term success. And so our intent as an agency is to, to truly remove those barriers from those that we serve so that they can lift themselves out of poverty. It's a, it's a huge opportunity and uh, one that is probably best um, that, that the um, intervention is best illustrated by talking about um, 
sort of a joint locating of services. So um, one of the one of the strategies we built during the COVID pandemic was this concept called community hope centers, where we um, worked with existing providers like boys and girls clubs and YMCA's and urban leagues to add and supplement their their services with additional services. So as schools were close to in-person instruction, um, we built services in those providers like mental health services. We added food resources, uh, just you know, sort of everything that those kids needed to be successful so that we could remove the barriers from their families to bringing uh, those resources to them. So it was an incredible um, intervention. We opened 52 Hope Centers in four months, serving about 3,000 kids and families. Uh, and one of the big opportunities we had was we embedded DHS workers at each of those Hope Centers so that when a child came to engage with Boys and Girls Club, we could serve their family through social safety net programs and really help uh, build whether if, whether their needs were food needs or housing needs or uh, or they needed to engage with um, uh, workforce retraining opportunities or something. So um, that's the, the second one. But ultimately, it's bringing uh, services all together and meeting our customers where they are. Um, the third is uh, becoming a lead employer. Uh, I do believe that if you have a passion for serving your community, uh, the Department of Human Services in the state of Oklahoma is the only place you should want to work. Uh, I would tell you we're not quite there, but I actually do believe we've made significant progress in the last couple of years. Uh, our employee turnover numbers are way down. Work-life balance is way up. Uh, we're, we are making it easier to work for OKDHS. Uh, I would tell you, I also, it, it's amazing. I talk about it all the time. We have an incredible workforce. These people are deeply committed to the work that we do. And it really is a testament that, to their commitment that they're still with us in some cases because the agency has not been great to work for over the generations. Again, I would tell you, we are extremely focused on that. We, um, we just launched a mental health platform where now if you think about in the sort of the most difficult spaces in our agency to work. I mean, think about 11 o'clock at night in Woodward, Oklahoma, and you're a child welfare worker and you've made a really tough decision uh, or you've, you've, and you've, you've uh, got a child who's now finally safe and you, but you've seen things that, you know, impact your life. Um, now you can pop up your phone and FaceTime with a counselor 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and talk about the things that you just saw. Um, and you, by the way, we have deep uh, counseling programs within the agency as well. So uh, we're just trying to address all of the, the mental and emotional health needs of our workforce. So uh, becoming an elite employer is number three, and I'm really proud of the efforts that we've, we've made on that front. Um, number four has become a space of efficiency, effectiveness, and transparency, operating our systems free from or with very little fraud, waste, or abuse. Um, we are, we are rebuilding our finance team. Actually, we have a, a new CFO who's the first ever CPA who's a CFO mm -hmm. at the Department of Human Services. Our uh, annual budget is roughly $2.5 billion a year every year. And um, so the, uh, rebuilding our finance team uh, really around measurements and outcomes and transparency has been um, really wonderful. The team has responded very well. Um, I'm excited about the opportunity that I have to walk across. The, my building is right next to the Capitol, so I can walk across the lawn. There's not even a street there. Walk across the lawn and uh, say to the legislature and the governor that, hey, we I know we spend our money wisely, free from or with very little fraud, waste, or abuse in the programs that we operate in our system. Uh, and now here are 10 ways we can invest in people in the state of Oklahoma. So um, we're, we're definitely getting to that space now. Uh, number five has become a space of innovation. Uh, I believe that, um, well, I mean, first of all, there are a number of ways you can define innovation. Um, and as I walked into the agency, uh, innovation to me meant being a self-correcting organization. Um, we, uh, you may or may not have heard, but we, uh, since 2012, we've been under a settlement agreement in child welfare as a result of a class, a class action lawsuit. It's called the Pinnacle Plan. And, um, it was really as a result of our agency, if you go back to the core of us not being self-correcting, there were, there were spaces in which there was, you know, uh, alarm bells were being raised about uh, the child welfare system, and we did not correct those ourselves internally. And so as I walked in, I learned about the Pinnacle Plan and decided that, you know, innovation for me um, really meant becoming self-correcting. And to me, that means it is a safe place where the team can raise their hand, people can raise their hand and say, 
listen, I have an issue or here's a new idea. It's just safe uh, to, to, you know, elevate something to, to higher levels. And so I really also believe we are very much in that space now. I hear all the time directly from frontline workers. I have um, weekly, if not more than weekly, conversations directly with teams of frontline workers to make sure that there's an open line of communication at all levels of the organization. Um, but there are other terms or other ways that you could be an innovative agency. And again, that's number five. And so uh, the opportunity for us to be national thought leaders and program innovators in the spaces that we're in is really there. And I would tell you, we're already being considered that in lots of spaces. Um, we have folks look to us. We work with other states all the time. And by the way, we, we look to other states for leadership in spaces as well. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited about the space we're in with regard to innovation. Uh, number six is really candidly one of the reasons I'm here today um, is to retell our story. Um, there is a, um, a, like it or not, there's a tremendous amount of stigma in our communities around the Department of Human Services. Uh, those three letters, DHS, mean uh, it means things to people in, in communities, especially uh, at-risk communities. <clears throat> and um, I believe that for every bad story that you see on the news. And candidly, my impression of the agency two and a half years ago was all what I saw on the news. And so I believe that for every one of those bad stories that you might hear about brokenness and humanity, there are actually a thousand incredible stories for of great things that are happening, of, of wonderful partnerships and, and you know, incredible transformative leaders uh, in our agency and with our partners. And so uh, we have just stunk at celebrating those and telling those stories. So you will, you've probably already have seen us out there more. You will see, continue to see us more telling those stories because um, the opportunity that we have is to break down that stigma so that families take advantage of the resources that we have that really will help them uh, lift themselves out of poverty. That's why we're here. Uh, number seven is building a culture of equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Uh, it is definitely a true mission that we're on. Um, from the one of the earliest stages of being there, we started to develop this concept of an equity triangle, and there are uh, three sides to this uh, to this equity triangle. Of course, it's a triangle, so there are three sides. Um, so the first side is uh, listening. So I've, we've built some functions uh, through which we listen now at the agency. Uh, and really, there are three components to that listening side. So maybe it's a triangle within a triangle. But uh, the first is listening to community to the community itself and leaders in the communities. Um, so I built what's called the Council of Voices. It's uh, roughly 20 to 30 uh, leaders in com uh, underrepresented communities, so those in all racial and ethnic backgrounds, um, LGBT communities, um, the tribal partners, um, those with disabilities, people who are um, you know, living in food insecurity, just really the people that we're serving because these systems were built to serve these communities, but they were never informed by the communities that they were intended to serve. So this Council of Voices meets about every six weeks and we talk about new programs and systems that we're building so that they can speak into those. Uh, it's also a venue for those leaders to raise their hand and say that there's, a, you know, there's an issue in the way that the agency is engaging in their community and we need to address it. It's, really, it's real accountability for us as an agency, uh, not just in the way that we engage, but also in the development of systems uh, being informed by those, uh, by those communities. So that's the first one, the Council of Voices. The second is our internal council on equity. In fact, I had a meeting with them today uh, before I came here. And this is uh, really interesting. We had, um, we, as we um, built this around the idea of listening to our workforce, um, it was clear, first of all, it's, we have 6,000 employees. And when you look at the number, or uh, the numbers, we are overrepresented by, um, by uh, women and by women of color. But we have done a terrible job listening to them. I mean, these are people who have real insight as to where disparities exist in our community or in our systems. So we built this internal council on equity and we needed 15 members on this council. And so I did a little two minute video for our internal social media feed, just trying to recruit 15 people to join. Within about a day and a half, we had 400 applicants for these 15 positions. First of all, it was great because it was definitely um, an illustration that our team wants to have this conversation. Um, but, but it was kind of a challenge. How do we select 15 people out of 400? 
and do it equitably, right? So we built, had to build a blind scoring system. We built um, the mechanisms uh, to really build a, a robust and diverse council. So we've done that and it's extremely effective. Um, the first thing that they're working on is um, proper representation in leadership training platforms within our agency. With 6,000 employees, we of course have deep leadership training programs internally. But as you go up in the levels of those programs, they become um, less and less representative of the people who work in the agency. So fewer women and fewer women of color as you go up in the system, in the leadership training system. So they're helping us to address that building, building mechanisms through which we embrace uh, the diversity of our workforce. So that's the second one is internal uh, council on equity. And then the third one that we're still building, which is honestly probably the most challenging to build is a stakeholder or, or customer engagement platform. Um, and the intent is to listen to the people that we're serving while we're serving them. And that's really difficult because unfortunately the systems that we operate come with trauma. And when you get people together to give feedback, you risk in, you know, in exacerbating that trauma. And so you have to be really mindful about how you engage customers while you're serving them. So we actually have a fellowship program. And so we have a person out of California who's helping us build this customer engagement platform. So that's the listening arm of the or side of the triangle. The second side is the learning side. So we're building uh, training programs and so that we can truly understand uh, how we engage with communities uh, and and what the what bias means and all of those things, uh, which is has been really impactful. And then the third is transforming. Um, I've talked a little bit about that already, but the idea is um, uh, listening to our communities. It is learning about this this issue and then taking those things we've heard and learned and transforming our own systems. So, for example, the leadership training platform uh, that we just talked about, um, if we were following the triangle, and we're, again, we're doing that, uh, we would be able to transform those, that system by listening to our workforce and uh, then learning about um, how we can do it better, looking to the outside for, other, for insight and input, and then transforming our system. Uh, and then the, the last executive leadership, True North, the eighth one, is moving upstream to solve problems for families before they become in crisis. Um, there's a metaphor that you may or may not have heard, but I'll tell it because there's probably somebody on listening to the podcast who hadn't heard it. But if you can picture yourself standing on the side of a river and there's a child floating down the river and you, you know, wade out to the river and you grab that child and you take it back to safety uh, on the shore and then you look up and there's another one coming, you run back out and you grab that one and, and take, it, take that one to safety and then, then they start coming you know, more and more quickly and you're, there's a human chain of bystanders being formed and you're pulling kids out of the river and you just almost can't keep up with all of the kids you know, floating down the river. And then all of a sudden you look up and one of your bystanders is running up the river and the, you say, hey, we need your help. Come back, come back. And, and he says, no, I'm going to go see who's throwing the kids in the river. That's where we need to be, right? We need to be pr moving the agency from a place of being reactive to a place of being proactive and preventative. So uh, we're looking at all of our systems and trying to move upstream so that we can meet families in need, again, before they be ever become in crisis. I mentioned that you know more than 60% of the calls to the child abuse and neglect hotline are related to poverty. Well, if we can move upstream and solve for and I realize it's big, but solve for poverty, mm -hmm. then those families will never meet our child welfare system. That's what moving upstream is all about. So those are our eight executive leadership true norths. I know that was a very long answer to your question. Um, I do have something I do want to share. Um, we are a, we are close to, well, I guess I'm going to do it right now. We are going to go ahead and uh, launch a ninth executive leadership true north. And I'm still working out the verbiage, so forgive me if one day it's posted on a website and it looks a little bit different than this. But our intent is to build a world-class customer experience, um, truly illustrating the value that we place in the people that we serve. Um, right now, and historically over the generations, um, world-class customer experience has not been in the vocabulary, candidly, of, of most human services organizations. 
So uh, our intent is to align the physical and digital distribution model for human services to truly meet people where they are and to give them that level of customer service that is recognized in the private sector. So all the time I ask people, um, you know, what organizations do you engage with that truly deliver world-class customer service? And I hear uh, Chick-fil-A, I hear Southwest Airlines, by the way, we were talking to both of those to learn how they do it. I mean, behind the scenes, how to build a customer experience that rivals those private sector um, partners or uh, organizations. So those are the organizations we're modeling after some, and it'll look different, and the complexity is large. But, uh, but our intent truly is to show the people that we serve that they have value by, by building this experience that uh, rivals the, par- the private sector. So again, long answer to your question, but, uh, but that's where I have come from. That's where we're going. Um, and so happy to answer more questions. No, thank you so much, Secretary Brown, for that. Yeah, we, you did cover a lot of territory, but the sense that I get uh, among many senses is, is the passion, the drive that you have, and um, the sense of purpose that you have in everything that you're doing. Not to overstate the obvious, but, but it, that's very clear. And so I should tell our listeners that are tuning in right now, uh, you may or may not know, but uh, if you don't know, you can click on the show notes. I'm going to drop some of these links that Secretary Brown has been mentioning and uh, let you see the, the, uh, the true North strategies all eight or nine of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's really exciting news that the, the, this ninth one, I love the idea of a world-class customer experience coming to Oklahoma DHS. Yeah. I mean, let me just open that up because I could cover all, you know, reflect oh, on Oh, yeah, that. sure, there was a lot there, yeah. Well, there was a lot there, which is exciting, but I want to move on because you've got more to share. But I'm just curious, what is what do you think, what do you believe that that type of experience could mm-hmm. mean for Oklahoma DHS Absolutely. and Oklahomans all the way down to the customers, to the folks that are being sure. served. Maybe I share a little bit about, um, and this is, this is stream of consciousness thinking, right? So yeah. forgive me if I jump around a little bit, but what does world-class customer experience mean? Yeah. I'll start with that. Um, for me, that means um, when you walk into a OKDHS uh, location, uh, whether that be a county office, a partner location where we're doing a ton of work these days, we have we have embedded workforce all over the place. So, um, you know, for example, we've invested deeply in school-based social services. Uh, so we, we're, we're building our uh, team in schools. Uh, we, have, we have embedded workers at um, homeless shelters and, um, you know, hospitals and, you know, um, housing, um, public housing communities all over the place. So uh, wherever you engage with uh, OKDHS, um, you know, the primary effort is within our county office network. Um, you are greeted and you are treated with dignity. Um, we sh- you, are, you engage with somebody more like a hotel concierge um, rather than uh, somebody who is, is intending to or has historically been on one side of a transaction. Our agency has been, uh, over the generations, um, very much driven by numbers. And, and outputs and measures are really important. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not. But uh, we have, because of that, we have become very transactional in the way that we engage with the people we serve. For example, uh, I went through an experience the other day, actually on the Thousand Stories podcast. Um, we did. We are about. We will have an episode coming up where it's around human-centered design, and it's all around world-class customer experience. And so we started talking about what is it like today to engage at a DHS county office, and we talked about the fact that in many of them we have. Um, metal detectors and security guards when you walk in the door. Uh, you, there is a piece of glass between you and the person who is greeting you. Um, it's very transactional. We ask you a question about uh, your situation. You explain that in many cases today may be one of the worst day of your life, one of the worst days of your lives. And so that's, um, that's an incredibly traumatic experience. Um, and, and honestly, when we talked about that, and when I dig deeper into that and I've experienced that, um, I feel a personal sense of um, shame that that's how our organization has been built over the generations to engage. So we're rebuilding that. You know, um, you should be met with somebody who truly cares about who you are, who is uh, much more um, holistic in their approach to addressing your needs. They learn about you as a person, not not just your need for SNAP benefits or food stamps, 
they learn about, um, you know, who you are, what, what your employment experience has been, you know, what do your kids need, all of those things so that they can help to solve more needs than just your, your food insecurity needs. And additionally, the experience you have in person should also align with the experience you have when you're served remotely through the agency. So if you call a call center or you engage with the internet, it should all work together. So you shouldn't have to tell your story five times. You shouldn't have to answer the same questions five times. In fact, our chief technology officer, one of his rules, we're not there yet, we're still trying to build technology, we can talk a lot about that. But um, one of his rules is government should not ask a question of you that they already know the answer to. Um, and w- again, we're not there, so you can't hold me to it yet, but we're, we're getting there, meaning if, if you as- answer a question about your kids and their age or your income level or whatever, we, that means we know it now. We know the answer, so you shouldn't have to revisit the trauma that it takes to, to tell us that story or that, those circumstances. And maybe not even just the trauma, but if you're signing up to be a foster family, there was a time where you'd have to fill out your address, your physical address, like 40 times, like write it down. I mean, that's crazy. Like, well, we should collect it and always know it. Um, So anyways, the digital and in-person experience should match and they should work together. Um, But you, the question you asked was a little different. It wasn't what is a a world-class customer experience is, what does that mean for the people we serve? And so, and what does it mean for Oklahomans? Um, to me, what it means is really along uh, around our executive leadership tree north number two, which is removing systemic barriers to keep our customer to to that keep our customers from being successful. Um, the the more we align the experience with a true um, understanding of who the person is, uh, the better we will be at helping families lift themselves out of the off of the worst day of their life the day that they and many times walk in to a DHS County office and humble themselves enough to ask for help. And, um, I hate that that's the situation we're in today, but that's how you engage with and ask for help is you, you have to walk into the office and it's not a good experience, but the future will be, and will be rapidly a world-class customer experience where you walk in the door. And if you've already worked on, you've already started addressing uh, some of the basic you know, sort of enrollment sort of things. We know who you are. We're there to help you. And the process is smooth and easy. And we can help you in more ways than, than we could before. So um, I really think that it, uh, world-class customer experience means a true opportunity to solve for the big things in the state of Oklahoma. That's so exciting. It's incredibly exciting. And so um, I think most of my listeners, and maybe we've got some new ones now with this episode coming out, but I think most of uh, our listeners today will know that you've said about 17 buzzwords that resonate (laughs) with me. So (laughs) uh, from the visionary part to the holistic to the transformation, you know, transforming systems. Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm a life purpose coach and an addiction recovery coach. I'm certified in, in both of those credentialed and uh, partnered with OSU OKC for a program that is hope-centered based on Dr. Hellman's research. And I'm familiar with that. And, and a lot of folks involved in this new program called the Center for Social Innovation. I know this is sort of off topic, but it's related. Uh, and several of these individuals have come from these systems or are utilizing the systems that you're referring to today. And there's just a few hands full of them, but even with what you're telling me right now, um, it's incredibly exciting to think that the folks that I'll be working with as their coach, as a part of this program, personal one-on-one coaching, that they can bring some of these things um, into session and just knowing that through this conversation, there are things in motion that are going to make their lives better, mm-hmm. including, that's why I was so curious, just because I was curious, but also because there are so many Oklahomans that want that experience that you're working towards. And, and I must say, from this side of this conversation, too, it, of course, it's going to take a while. For sure. But a lot of our listeners, and, and you may know yourself or someone that, that you love and care about, has had the experiences that Secretary Brown you're describing, and they long for the ones that that you're moving in the direction of, which is incredibly exciting for yeah, everyone. I'll also make sure to share um, that this is a time in state government where um, 
the culture is for organizations and huge organizations to work together on these fronts like they never have. Um, I will tell you, we have uh, large agencies like the Department of Human Services um, working with other partner agencies um, truly to align those services. So it's not just a world-class customer experience that will live in DHS. Uh, I would also tell you that the state health department and uh, the healthcare authority and the Department of Education and OESC, and now I've started naming, so that means I have to name all of them. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> but but um, this, this sort of, this culture in this time in state government is one of true collaboration. And I think that's an untold story because these systems are so big that it's hard for the regular person to who doesn't engage with state government daily to see that that is a change. It's a real change, and and at some point in the hopefully not too distant future, it will become very evident to the average person that our state is just working better than it did before. And it's also difficult in times of COVID when our lives are just so disrupted to see that. Um, but but I am extremely proud of the work that's happening in state government. And uh, I hope someday soon for the regular citizen um, to also have that level of pride. Yeah, well, I'm feeling it over here, just knowing that it's going on. And I know that big things take time to develop and there's gonna be problems and issues and all that good stuff, but there's gonna be solutions and answers and, and uh, progress and change in the right direction. I'm. That's a reason to hope right there. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. So we can go in many different directions. I, I wondered if you might be interested or curious to, to share with some of our listeners about some of your previous experiences and uh, if you'd like to go here to think about maybe a challenging situation that just personally that that's relevant to the work that you do now that you uh, that sort of transformed you and gave you hope. Oh my goodness! It's wide open. So <clears throat> that is a wide. I can open narrow question. it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try just leave it there. And uh, see. No, that's good. You may need to give me a second to uh, to wander through this. Yeah. Um, so personal challenges that have impacted me or maybe put me in this space. Um, wow. Uh, okay. Um, we'll see where this goes. So. Um, I, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma City, um, proud Linwood Lion, uh, which is uh, no longer around. It was one of the schools that was closed uh, recently, but I was a Linwood Lion. Uh, and I went to Classen Fifth Year Center um, back when Oklahoma City Public Schools um, sort of um, all merged into one of a couple of fifth year centers. So I had about 800 kids in my fifth grade class. Uh, at, which, which and it's now class and school for arts uh, and sciences. Oh right. Yeah, but it used to be class and fifth year center. Okay. And so um, I had a teacher all throughout um, that my education. Um, it was uh, it, it, the, uh, the 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 environment it it class and fifth year center with eight hundred fifth grade or, uh, kids was not um, excellent all the time, and so I had a teacher. Uh, call my mom and tell her that she would pay for me to get out, pay for me to go to private school. And um, my mom said, you know, thanks, but no thanks, I can't accept it. Um, but um, I ended up going to a private school on grant um, right after that. And um, I would tell you, I, I only share that story. Um, I don't know why I shared that story, but I would only share that story to illustrate that um, – it's amazing what one person can do for one other person. Um, although that was not a direct intervention, um, she, that teacher didn't actually do that, but she stood up and said, you know, and took an interest in my life at the time and said, you know, like this, something's got to change for him. And so, um, I was blessed to have that. I, um, I do think about, regularly, um, people who don't have that, you know, somebody who, um, doesn't have an adult stand up for them, uh, or kids who don't have an adult stand up for them. And, um, I think maybe that's <clears throat> one of the, uh, reasons that I'm in the space that I am today and why I actually do believe that human services is a lifelong passion for me because so many of the systems that we run, we operate, whether it's child welfare um, or, and, and that's a true and deep example, fostering 
is a an adult standing up for a child. Um, but even in other divisions like like childcare services, for example, um, these are systems that, if operated correctly, can play the role of the intervening adult in the life of a child in need. And um, I'm forever thankful for for that. Um, but I do think that that is possibly what has connected me. You know, it's really pretty incredible. I, I, I have never made this connection, so thank you for doing this for me. Um, but, um, but I think maybe that's why I'm in the space. One of the reasons I'm in the space that I am in is because we do, we fill the gap for kids in need. And, um, and, uh, and so I would encourage anybody who's listening who wants to be that adult, who wants to stand in the gap to... Um, consider being a foster parent. Um, consider, if that's not for you, because of whatever stage you're in, to consider supporting a foster parent. Um, uh, in fact, I had a call this morning with a uh, foster, uh, two foster parents who, um, who heroically stood in the gap for a child with pretty severe um, physical needs, me- medical needs. It was, it was a medically fragile child. And it's been four years, and um, this child—I got to see the child, and he was just thriving, and it was great to see. And um, but if it were not for those parents, it would have been a difficult, much dif- more difficult road for that child. But throughout the the process for them, as they stood in the gap for that young man, uh, they had people supporting them. Uh, you know, they needed a date night, or they needed a crib, or they needed whatever they needed. And so there are ways that you can support a foster family if fostering is not for you. And um, I would encourage people to, to look, look those up. There's, a, there's a, um, an organization called Care Portal, which, um, which you can engage with and, and help to support a foster family. Uh, and then, of course, DHS can help to facilitate that as well. So um, I guess that would be my answer. That was a long, winding answer, but... Uh, but thank you for, for elevating that. Well, absolutely. Thanks for going there. So again, I'll drop the link. So if you're interested in, in helping with what Secretary Brown was talking about, I know I'll speak for me and I think my wife, um, Christy, who is a middle school teacher. She teaches choir at Mayfield Middle School, loves her job, loves her kids very, very much, and is a safe space for her kids to come and express a part of themselves. Maybe they couldn't otherwise and, and wants to be a person in the gap for as many kids as she can. So speaking for, for you, Christy, if you listen in, I think you probably will. We're, we're pretty interested in fostering at some point in our lives. Right. And at the time of, of this interview, I was, I was telling you, uh, Secretary Brown, before we went on air, you had asked how, how my day was going. I said, pretty good. You know, we have uh, two daughters. And you learned that we had two, but our oldest one just went off to college. And so we're, we're definitely feeling that. And, uh, but just love, love uh, being able to nurture, care. Um, be a presence, be a, a positive support, and really just speaking, uh, maybe selfishly, just watching somebody or something uh, grow and become all that they maybe can be. You know, that's that's a big part of why I do whatever every day. So I was over here, I, I, I'll admit I had some tears in my eyes just, just listening to you in, in all the right ways, uh, share about your passion and having people uh, in your lives, uh, in your life that could uh, be in that gap and be that support. And I'm sure our listeners can, listeners, you might just take a minute or two, think about all the influencers you've had in your life that have helped you to uh, find purpose and meaning and want to create a positive impact in the world. Absolutely. So another thing that as we were, as you were just sharing, um, it's important to, to share also that becoming a foster parent doesn't only mean that you're standing in the gap for that child. Um, our primary goal as an agency is a f- actually we're, we're not trying to build a foster care system. We're trying to build a family building system. And so you are also standing in the gap for that biological family. Um, these are folks who have maybe faced some of those barriers that we've talked about already today, and they just need a minute to get, to get things back in order. And, and so a foster parent is somebody who's, who, of course, stands there for the child but also is a bridge builder for that family. Um, and, uh, and so it's, that is very important to note because as we build this family building system, 
at Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Um, we foster families. Uh, we need to do. We need to create proper messaging for foster families because it is a critical role that they play in the lives of the actual biological parents for that child. Amen. Thank you for the corrective and the addition because absolutely that's that's critical. That piece is so. Yeah, it's a much larger system, and you know, and we're all in it together to maybe oversimplify it. But uh, yeah, again, if you're interested, if you're listening in, you want to be a part of the solution. You want to be someone that can step in and add some support for a family that's just been through something. You know, people have stuff that they go through. Those, again, my listeners know, probably know my story, but if you don't, uh, alcoholism for 16 years, suicide attempt, a night in jail, uh, residential treatment, psychiatrist, psychologist, all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of the non-expressed uh, background that maybe some of our listeners will know. But if you don't, yeah, been there. Uh, our, we've needed people through our lives when our girls were young, especially. So much love and respect to all the dozens and hundreds of people that stepped in, and including services from DHS. Mm, so, powerful. Yeah. Yep. Powerful. Well, well, if you want to be a foster family, uh, okfosters.org okay. is uh, the website you go to. Yeah, there you go. And. Uh, but but you can just learn about it. It's non-binding to get, to go in and just just learn and uh, understand if it's right for you and your family. Okay. Well, Secretary Brown, we've got a few more minutes, and I just wanted to open it up and give you an opportunity. I've got another question, but uh, do you have any closing words that you had in mind? Um, no, uh, except to just say thanks for the opportunity to to share what we're doing. Um, we really are here to do the big things at uh, the Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Uh, our state is, is, as I mentioned, in a position to transform multiple systems all at the same time. And so there are a lot of really incredible people doing wonderful work right now. Um, you may not hear them on a podcast or ever see them on uh, a news channel or a social media feed, but um, I would encourage you to just uh, give grace to the people today who are uh, out there serving in the trenches. Um, our agency is full of heroes who are really there to make a difference and do the big things. And again, they don't receive the same acclaim sometimes that, uh, that others do, um, but it's incumbent upon me and upon us to celebrate um, the mission that they're on as well. On that note, is, is there a way that folks can reach out? If they have a sure. positive message and, you know, Sometimes we get in a habit when something's wrong, then we reach out. But maybe there's some folks listening in. They're like, you know what? I want to I want to send something out. I want to pass along a positive message. Sure. Okay, how yeah, so that? there's a few ways. Um, I will share. Um, I have social media, of course. Um, but uh, the first is if you have an idea on how you can help us. I mentioned earlier our okdhs.org. Uh, we've listed all of our True North goals on there. And you can, there's that button that says raise your hand. And there's a way that you can, you know, offer an idea, an innovation. You can bring up an issue, something like that. Uh, personally, social media, um, I'm at Secretary Brown uh, on um, Twitter, uh, at uh, Secretary underscore Brown on Instagram. And then Facebook is Secretary Brown as well. So, uh, and then uh, I also have a podcast as well. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, but the Thousand Stories podcast. Uh, the reason behind the name is that I mentioned it, that uh, for every story of brokenness and humanity you see online or on the news, I do believe there are a thousand incredible stories of heroism that happen every day. And, and, uh, and I've kind of got tired of the negative um, uh, perceptions around uh, our community and, and online and wanted to tell those incredible stories. So if you're looking for stories of, of wonderful leaders and to celebrate um, true partnerships and collaborations and uh, amazing efforts, that uh, Thousand Stories podcast is there too. So uh, thank you for the opportunity to share that. Absolutely. Well, all of those links, again, are going to be in the show notes. So go click around. You're going to find those. And if not, just re-listen, right? And, and you're going to find them that way. <laughs> so Secretary Justin Brown, thank you so much for being my guest on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It was a true honor. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. 
And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today. Today.